0: Hello, and welcome to the first episode of the Hague Journal of Diplomacy podcast. My name is Ilan Madhavji, and I will be your host. Today, we not only have a special guest to talk to, but we also have a special journal issue to talk about. Joining me today is Professor Christian Leken. He is an academic based at Sciences Po in Paris, whose research has, uh, amongst other topics, focused on the inner workings of diplomacy. So it is perhaps then no surprise that we have him with us today as the guest editor. the special issue that was just released by the Hague Journal of Diplomacy entitled Ministries of Foreign Affairs, Institutional Responses to Complexity Diplomacy. Christian, thank you for joining us today. How are you?
1: Good morning, Ellen. Well, I'm, 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 I'm fine and it's a pleasure to speak with you about this uh, special issues on Ministries of Foreign Affairs because uh, this is a topic uh, I am concentrating on uh, for, for years now, as you said. So uh, I'm glad that uh, the Hague Journal of Diplomacy accepted to have a special issue on this topic.
0: Thank you, thank you. And that's, that's, that's exactly where, where our head and heart is at today. Uh, Now, maybe just uh, so I can make sure that I'm on the same page uh, uh, with you being the expert. The issue that uh, we have before us today talks about the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, otherwise known as the MFA, as an actor within the wider world of diplomacy. And this is, of course, a world that is rapidly developing. So reading through these papers, these essays and reviews introduces you to contemporary terms such as tech-plomacy and public diplomacy. And you also get to see how themes such as gender, ethnicity, and culture relate to the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. So now maybe as a, a simple introductory question, but um, a question that certainly will frame perhaps the rest of our discussion. Uh, why do you feel, as, as the editor of this journal, that this topic warranted an entire journal issue worth of study?
1: Well, for several reasons, Elon. Uh, The first one is uh, when you look at the literature which exists, and when I'm talking about existing literature, I'm I'm mentioning, well, comparative literature and foreign services. Well, in general, well, they suffer from being either old, I mean, published in the 90s, or um, written by uh, practitioners. And this is not a critique, but practitioners, of course, they... uh, uh, have a tendency to be descriptive about what uh, well they did in their in their professional career, so we we, we there there was a lack uh, in the in in the literature, and uh, this is something we uh, would like with this uh, uh, special issue uh, uh, well to um, uh, to correct. Second. Um, Well, ministries of foreign affairs, uh, well, they are classic institutions, I mean, classic in the sense that uh, they were not uh, created yesterday, uh, but uh, um, for Europe centuries ago. And of course, when you, when you're a social scientist, well, you don't concentrate so much on, on classic institutions as you do on new institutions, right? And in in IR uh, literature or in diplomatic studies, when you look at the interest of the people, well. And again, it's not a critique, of course, they are very much concentrating on new transnational organizations, they are concentrating on NGOs, but less, less on, uh, on the classic institutions like uh, ministries of foreign affairs. And it's, it's exactly the same for uh, comparative politics, uh, for people not working so much on national parliaments, right? Because it's also considered as a, as a, as a classic institution. So that's the second reason. And the third reason, Uh, Well, it has been mentioned in your introduction, Hélène, of course, a Ministry of Foreign Affairs today uh, is not the center of a diplomatic process of a state anymore. Uh, It's an institution which is in competition with many other institutions, uh, which has to work through networks. Uh, There are some debates inside about, well, who should be the diplomats? Uh, what you said about uh, um, ethnic, uh, uh, well, diversity, uh, of course, is a new issue, but it's also true for gender. Uh, Well, it it was a a work traditionally uh, um, for men, uh, and and this is less and less the case, but sometimes it requires some uh, uh, affirmative action policies to, re, to 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 have a certain balance. I mean, a gender balance. So all these questions have now to be put on the table. They have to be put on the research agenda, and this is what uh, we try to do with this special issue.
0: Okay, so you've you've uh, you've you've given us there like a a very beautifully diverse and wide aspect on this um, on this journal here, and I want to touch on something you specifically mentioned. Um, you you talked about the perspective of the practitioner. And I find it interesting. If you if you look throughout the wider field of international relations and politics, there is often, uh, whether it's a tension or a competition between the academic view and the, the practitioner's view. And I'm curious how this translates to this field. So when you talk about uh, the MFA, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, and this developing world of diplomacy, so really the 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 centerpiece of of this journal, which is the role of the MFA within this developing world. What is the difference really between the academic perspective on the role and the the practitioner's perspective on the role?
1: Well, uh, the main difference is that the practitioners, of course, uh, especially in diplomacy, well, they try to uh, uh, focus on functional aspects of their work. They try to focus on the question of, Organization question of efficiency, right? Because this is what they have to do in their in their daily life. When academics, we have to go beyond that. Of course, uh, rational questions like efficiency uh, has to be taken into account in our analytical frames. But we have to see also the politics of diplomacy. We have to see the symbolic aspects of diplomacy. And in diplomacy, you have money, money symbolic dimensions, right? Well, this is usually something uh, 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 practitioners uh, does not uh, analyze in, uh, in great detail. But let me immediately add that um, we don't have to oppose academics to practitioners. And uh, I am uh, uh, very convinced about the necessity to uh, take into account uh, the, uh, practices, uh, uh, in our theoretical, analytical or theoretical or analytical frames. So we have never to forget that diplomacy exists only because practitioners are there, right? You know what I mean? Huh? Yeah, and yeah, they yeah. are, they are, they are making diplomacy on a daily basis. And this is why it's important for academics to understand the mindsets of practitioners, to analyze the practice. And here, uh, uh, the new tendency in IR theory called practice theory, of course, is very, very helpful.
0: Perfect. So then I want to I, I wanna challenge you a little bit on this one, because we've, we've mentioned uh, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs as now, in today's world, not being the only purveyor of diplomacy, if you will. Yet at the same time, we're talking about who are the diplomats. So we can acknowledge that now diplomacy is a, is a tool that is wielded by by many actors, right? It's not just the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. It's NGOs. It's international organizations. It's advocacy groups, et cetera, et cetera. And um, there was one really interesting piece uh, from the journal by Jason Dittmer where he talks about um, the idea or even the, the speculative question of, Say we were to remove the MFA, or say the MFA no longer is the center of the world of diplomacy, as you and I would know it traditionally. Um, is that a question worth asking? Can we, should we really be asking ourselves, is the MFA now uh tangent
1: to its position uh, that we're used to? Of course, the question of centrality of diplomacy has to be uh, a challenge. And uh, I am, uh, well, uh, very much convinced that uh, in the contemporary period, of course, the ministries of foreign affairs do not have the monopoly of the foreign policy making. And, 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 and this, this is why precisely they become interesting, okay? Because as Jason Dittmer says, they are no part of network forms of uh, decision making. And uh, the question for uh, for us, for uh, academics, is what about the added value of uh, this uh, uh, foreign service, which has not anymore the monopoly of the policy making. Okay, so because because the ministries of foreign affairs do not have the monopoly of uh, uh, diplomatic work anymore, they are interesting. Okay, uh, but it will probably be a mistake to consider that uh, uh, they are uh, the central actors. Well, except that we have also to be cautious, and this is why comparison is important. It depends very much uh, uh, of the political regimes, of the kind of political regimes uh, uh, we have. Uh, Ministry of Foreign Affairs in uh, um, Russia uh, does not have exactly the same uh, position in the decision making than ministries of foreign affairs in Norway or in Canada, right? Uh, yeah. And this is this is definitely why we also need comparison.
0: Yeah, no, that I, I I follow with you entirely. And um, you've now talked about the these the cultures of these MFAs and how I think it's it's quite interesting that. Yeah, we can look across the globe and find that each MFA within their own state structure requires uh, a, a different lens to look at. And that brings me to my next question. Uh, this is a question that uh, is certainly relevant to, to many fields of IR, and you yourself even talk about it in your introductory piece. Um, is there a, a Western perspective trap with this topic uh, when we, we look to analyze it, when we look to understand it? That we need to be aware of now that we are attempting to to really study it entirely within this within this journal.
1: My answer to your question is, yes. And I don't think uh, this is a, a, a trap just for the study of ministries of foreign affairs. This is a trap in diplomatic studies in general. When you look at the at the literature uh, on uh, on diplomatic studies, well, most of uh, the empirical cases are taken from uh, well, pluralist Western style uh, of, of, of democracy, right? Um, and, and for um, also practical reasons, it's because uh, uh, it's the countries Canada, Norway, etc., where you have a, a, a communications from the institutions themselves about what they are what they are doing. Uh, and uh, there is a possibility for the researcher also to have access through uh, uh, participatory observation, interviews, etc. But of course, of course, uh, this is this is not enough. And uh, when you look at the uh, uh, evolution of the powers in the world, of course, you see now uh, uh, China, uh, India, uh, Vietnam, uh, many other countries South Africa uh, which uh, come on the uh, international scene and we have to know, we have to know more about the uh, uh, foreign policy process or diplomatic processes of these countries as well. So, But not, not all, all, only these ones, right? Iran for instance is also a, very, a very, interesting, uh, very interesting case. Of course it's difficult to make empirical Work in, the, in in some of these countries, but we have to go. We have to go in uh, in this direction to de-Westernize the uh, uh, diplomatic studies. And to consider that in some countries, well, uh, diplomats are not just career people recruited through uh, uh, exams, but they are just appointed because they are close from the political regime or because they are a member of a, of a party, a single party, right? All these questions have to be investigated more.
0: Yeah, and I, I, I couldn't agree more, and especially when you're talking about... Um, the fact that when studying Ministries of Foreign Affairs and perhaps diplomacy around the world, at times we are limited to the messages we receive from the ministries themselves. Uh, Obviously we do not have access always within the world of diplomacy, Uh, but that then makes me think, okay, now with the role that social media plays, uh, not only for governments in general, but particularly within the world of diplomacy and with the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, how does social media, and this cultural identity, how do they interact? What does one do for the other?
1: Well, social medias have uh, become crucial, of course, for um, uh, diplomacy and uh, it has totally changed the relationships of diplomats uh, to communication. Uh, 25 years ago, Uh, communication in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs meant uh, uh, broadly having press conference uh, uh, knowing uh, well the uh, uh, press correspondents very well and trying to have uh, discussions sometimes off with them well this time this time is finished right now what is important is uh, uh, communicating through uh, um social medias uh, we have two very good pieces in the in the special issue about uh, about that and of course uh, you can uh, uh, circulate or diffuse a certain image of your of your country uh, or of your policy uh, through the social media so there is a direct link between social media and uh, Soft power or public diplomacy, Uh, but you can also communicate fake news. Uh, And uh, if you communicate fake news uh, through your social uh, uh, networks, uh, well, uh, those who are the targets of the fake news have to be prepared to react, right? So you have to know how also to, well, uh, prepare counter fake counter news right to uh, uh, say uh, uh, well uh, this position is not true this one is totally and you have to put it in the social media you have to uh, put it uh, in twitter you have to put it in instagram etc etc so uh, it's uh, it's a it's a crucial instrument because uh, um, of course uh, uh, diplomacy has to do a lot with legitimacy and uh, through through communication you 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 create a legitimate or an illegitimate sometimes image right so um it's 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 a, a, an important part of the of the job so it means also that diplomacy is not anymore uh, just uh, negotiating in secret rooms you know uh, through uh, uh, well a very uh, uh, specific uh, rules between uh, uh, practitioners. No, no, no. Uh, it's, uh, it's a public exercise. And sometimes the public exercise uh, does not respect fair rules. That's the problem of fake news.
0: No, it, it, entirely. I think uh, everyone listening, I'm sure it, to one degree or another, will be able to, to relate to that message. And uh, not only that one, but also this, idea of uh, expressing a particular image, and whether that's a reflection of the true nature of, of, of what one of these bodies are trying to express, or if it's uh, an artificial manufactured image. And I find that dynamic also interesting, and in how that relates to another issue related to MFAs and diplomacy, which is the topic of diversity, which you and your, your co-authors touch on in your paper, Ethnic Diversity in the Recruitment of Diplomats, Why MFAs Take the Issue So Seriously. And um, you talk about the, the enactment of uh, diversity policies, uh, those that increase ethnic, gender, and identity representation. And I'm curious how this, this issue of, or r- rather this theme of image relates to that. So when MFAs do enact these policies, what is the consequential image that this projects and to whom is that image projected?
1: All right, let me just uh, um, start saying that this question of uh, diversity in the recruitment of diplomats has not been investigated so much, right? Well, except a bit in the in the United States, it's the, the question of the of the presence of Afro Americans uh, inside the uh, State Department, and also a bit in Brazil because uh, they are uh, well special policy. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure it will. Uh, continue with President Bolsonaro, but those policies were invented by, created by uh, President Lula to make sure that Afro-Brazilians uh, well, uh, uh, are more represented than they are today. It's less than 1% of the uh, current staff of the Ichamarati of the uh, Brazilian Ministry of Foreign Affairs. But um, what is interesting is uh, that uh, this question of diversity is present uh, in many, well, many different contexts. Uh, in um, the Western world, if I may speak so, well, um, Ministries of Foreign Affairs, of course, they are uh, not... Uh, totally disconnected from uh, uh, debate inside the society. And in uh, many societies, now there's the question about, well, what about the representation of uh, diversity, people with migration background in public service? And what is true in general is true also for the uh, ministries of uh, of foreign affairs. Okay, um, well, uh, is it normal that uh, in a ministry of foreign affairs of uh, uh, EU member state you don't have somebody uh, with a migrant background when, uh, uh, well, uh, ten or twelve percent of the population has such a background? Well, this is this is a question, and all the the the, the ministries uh, in in these countries have the question at the agenda. The second. The question is, of course, a question, of course, of um, uh, uh, efficiency of the foreign policy. Also, Um, in in Brazil, when uh, when Lula uh, introduced uh, the uh, special exams for Afro Brazilians, of course, he had in mind the uh, question of representing the society. So, not very far from. what I said about Western Europe, but not only, not only. He also wanted to have a, a more efficient foreign policy towards Africa. He was very active to open new embassies in Africa, etc. What does it mean for a country of Brazil having a, a, an efficient African foreign policy when you don't have one black diplomat inside your uh, uh, Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Well, it's it's strange for the African partners, right? Um, and sometimes it's 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 interesting also to see how uh, the, the 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 question of ethnic diversity, well, has direct connection with foreign policy priorities. India is also a very interesting uh, uh, question. Uh, there is in general a, a discrimination of the Muslim population in India. And this situation is, uh, is going worse with uh, the current government of Modi uh, because of the Hinduist uh, nationalism, which is beyond uh, GP. But uh, inside the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, well, they use some Muslim uh, 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 ambassadors, for instance, you know, we sort of stars of the, of the Indian Ministry of Foreign Affairs, well, to develop relationships with part of the world important for India, for instance, the Gulf country. Uh, if you take Saudi Arabia, where India always uh, sent a, a, a Muslim Indian diplomats to Saudi Arabia, and this is not by chance, of course. So all these questions uh, have to be studied uh, more, and this is what we we try to do in our, in our article, which is one of the... Uh, only comparative article existing, I guess, on this, uh, on this question.
0: Yeah, and I, I, I certainly found the, the comparative aspects of this article quite interesting, especially when you mentioned the issue of timing. So these, these policies and some MFAs are put in place, but of course to see an institution reflective of the diversity of society, as you mentioned in your article, will, will take years, uh, perhaps perhaps even decades. So I, I'm i curious then, are there quick fixes for this issue? Is there a more short to medium term sort of uh, policy or approach that can uh, allow MFAs to increase their diversity uh, to what one would say is a, a one reflective of society?
1: Well, from for an empirical observation, uh, we can uh, uh, say that it's a progressive, of course, uh, um, uh, process and uh, again brazil is a is a is a good example where they, they introduced the first measures in uh, well 2003 or beginning of the decade 2000 and uh, when you when you take the number of afro-brazilians working for the ministry of foreign affairs today well it's it's, it's a limited number it's a limited number of course because be, be, beyond that you have uh, other questions that have to be studied uh, for instance um, well, in uh, in Brazil, um, it's very it's very expensive to prepare the exam uh, for the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, and in in general, black families they have less money than 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 white families in uh, in uh, in Brazil, so they are less able to pay these private schools to prepare the uh, uh, exam of the Instituto Rio Rio Branco, oh, so all these things. Uh, uh do um play a role right and you have also sometimes some form of uh, social censorship right uh well this is not a job for me this is not a job for me uh so this is this is why affirmative action uh, policies are 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 important right uh, um it, it linked to the image also of the diplomats, somebody who Belongs to uh, well, um, well, upper class or, or upper middle class, right? And this this is very much in the in the mindset. It's less and less true. I mean, when you when you look at the uh, at the figures, when you look at the, well, we, we don't have so much uh, uh, um, quantitative studies, and that would be very interesting to go in this uh, in this direction. But it's less it's less and less true. But it's still there in the in in the mindset and uh, uh, this is uh, this is explaining also why this challenge of diversity uh, well uh, is uh, is difficult to uh, cope with on a very quick time period but what is important is to have a process And uh, let's see what happened in Brazil, for instance. But if Mr. Bolsonaro, who is absolutely against any policy of uh, uh, affirmative actions, decide not to continue with uh, the current procedure, some quotas for the Afro-Brazilians at the exam, well, that would be a a regression, of course. Uh, And that will not help the evolution in the long term. Certainly, certainly. And...
0: Uh, speaking of the long term, uh, before we part ways, Christian, uh, the last question I, I have for you is, is one that uh, I'd like you to to dream, to to, to speculate with me. Um, a lot of the works in this in this special issue, uh, perhaps naturally, end on a note geared towards the future, as as you have done yourself in your pieces, but also in many of your your answers uh, today. What do you believe must come next for this topic? So, if you were to Uh, take that next step and say you had to write another book or you you did have to issue another journal uh, on this topic. What is the next frontier for this topic?
1: Well, uh, my my answer to your question is that many issues have still to be investigated. And let me just uh, uh, mention a couple of them. Uh, I was uh, talking about quantitative studies on the social background of diplomats. Well, this is something we definitely need. We need to know more who are the diplomats in terms of social origin. But of course we can do that only if we have a cooperation from the ministries of foreign affairs themselves. And they they are sometimes reluctant. Uh, to uh, to give the data but it's also i think in their interest especially in the western world because we will show uh, through the quantitative studies that the 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 diversity of the social background is probably higher than what the people's representations uh, uh, usually are so that's my first thing the second issue we don't know a lot about the relations between the diplomat and the politician. And I'm I'm, I'm dreaming about a a, a good comparative article, you know, uh, trying to analyze uh, what's the relations between the the politician and the diplomat. Uh, A third issue is, uh, the question of uh, interest groups uh, and uh, and ministries of foreign affairs. Uh, one of the uh, specificity of the ministries of foreign affairs compared to other ministries in a government is that they are not supported by uh, very strong interest groups, except except the diplomats themselves, who can be, well, uh, an interest group, plus sometimes the uh, expatriates, right? People who... Uh, who, uh, well, uh, are abroad and they are the use of embassies and the users of uh, 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 the consulate, etc. Well, that has to be studied more because it has an impact on the, the power of ministries of foreign affairs also inside the governments. And uh, especially when you have budgetary uh, discussions, for instance, I'm struck, that uh, uh, ministries of foreign affairs in many countries not all of them, but they have accepted without too much reluctance to decrease their budget. It's 20% in the last 10 years in the UK and in France. Why? It's because also they are not uh, well supported so much by interest groups. right? Uh, uh, Trying to do the same for the uh, uh, Ministry of Agriculture in my country, France, for instance, well you, you immediately see the mobilization of the, of the interest groups. So that has to be uh, studied uh, more. And uh, of course the, the, um, the question of consular affairs also uh, is, uh, is an area uh, which has to be investigated more um, because um, the mobility of people, uh, the importance of diaspora uh, has also totally changed the work of uh, of, of consuls. Um, it's a work which is much more political than it was in the past. Let's take India. Uh, it's very important now for the Indian Foreign Service to have a good relations with the, with the Indian diasporas abroad, which are very different, right? If you take the Indian diaspora in the United States, they are, uh, well, um, highly educated people. So it's important for India because uh, you want to have, uh, um, well, uh, uh, those people uh, transferring knowledge, uh, investments in India, etc. If you take the Gulf countries where, uh, well, it's more low skill. Uh, citizens it's to make sure that those people uh, are not exploited and that uh, uh, well social law is uh, uh, well respected uh, as much as it can right uh, so these questions that's the fourth topic of course are our, our, our question for research and in in all cases uh, it needs it needs empirical work to go towards well conceptualization theorization right I'm, uh, I'm I'm very, very much in favor of uh, having good empirical work to be able to make good theory.
0: That makes total sense. I could not have said it better myself. And of course, Christian, if you do decide to write those books, I will certainly be eager to read them, uh, as I'm sure many of our listeners are. Uh, Christian, I'd like to thank you so much for your time uh, and effort and, and, and sharing your thoughts today. Uh, about the issue. To anyone listening, I would very gladly and keenly uh, direct them to the special issue that has just come out uh, on the, with, with the Hague Journal of Diplomacy. Um, and uh, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to uh, our first podcast episode for the Hague Journal of Diplomacy. Christian, thank you so much once again.
1: Thank you very much, Ilan. Bye-bye. Bye.